0: This Torah class is brought to you by Torahanytime.com. Torah Anytime. Um, Rubain and Shimon Koyakov's father had a stroke. The ones who, the ones who run Torah Anytime, I just want to get the name. hold on. Mm, had the name. I had the name. No. What? Yaakov Ben Sara That makes that makes sense. Yaakov Ben Sara He sent me a text. Yeah, Yaakov Ben Sara, Okay. Ruvu Shleim for Yaakov Ben Sara All right. So last week's parasha <laughs> was parsha's <laughs> mishpatim. This week's parsha is parsha's Chuma Tonight's <laughs> Rosh Chodesh Adar. It's a big night. This is the, the month of happiness, the month of being more happy. It's an interesting thing because um, in the month of Av, it says, When you go into the month of Av, you should have less Simcha. And it tells us how to have less Simcha. You can't eat meat, you can't listen to music, you can't take a haircut. But in this month where it says, you should be happy, doesn't tell you how. doesn't tell you how. So when it tells you to be less happy, it tells you how. It says not be happy, it doesn't tell you how. So. Dancing. What? Dancing. It doesn't, no, it doesn't say you should sing and dance. <laughs> that would make, that would, that would make you happy, but it doesn't say, it doesn't say that in the month of Adar you should sing and dance. That's the question. If it says it of that you shouldn't listen to music, so it should say, in, in, in Adur, you should listen to music, but it doesn't say that. So, also, just an interesting thing, Mishniknas ador we should be happier. When you come into Av, you should be less happy. But it never says you shouldn't be happy at all. A Jew always has to be happy. So it does, even in of, it doesn't say when the month of Av comes, don't be happy. It says you should be, Mim'atim, less happy. You always have to be happy. A Jew has to be happy. Depression is where the Sultan lives in depression. That's where he lives. A person who, who's who's depressed can't really have a relationship with God. So, so what should you be? Why should you? What should you do in the month of Adar to be happy? So, it's a little bit what I'm going to be talking about tonight. Um, and we'll we'll start with this question, and then when I get finished, you'll understand. After the whole show, you'll understand the answer. So. Last week's Pasha Mishpatim. So anyway, tonight's Rosh Chodesh, for those, tonight and tomorrow, and tomorrow night and Friday, so it's, uh, Rosh Chodesh, is Thursday and Friday. So tonight and, 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 and Thursday, Thursday night and Friday, two days of, um, of Rosh Chodesh, and it brings out Rosh Chodesh, a very big holiday for women, specifically. So, it's, uh, if you have a judgment, if you have to have some, an operation, or some type of medical treatment, the month to do it in is Adar. Because if you have to go to court Go in Addo, you'll probably win Addo is a very good month for the Jews As we know, it turned from Evo simcha, from a terrible We thought it was going to be really bad Ended up becoming very good So, in the last week's Pasha It says the following Right? What mishpatim And What chukim? So Mishpatim are Mitzvot That we think we understand Do You shouldn't kill you shouldn't steal. We understand that. That makes sense, right? Chukim are mitzvoth that we totally just doesn't seem to have a reason, right? So it was interesting yesterday in, in seminary, so I said, what's a chok? So all the girls said, what's a chok? Shotness. Wearing linen and wool together, right? Why does that bother Hashem? You put some linen, you put some wool together. Why does that bother Hashem? It's, it's a chok, like... Hashem said you're not allowed to do it. It happens to be that the Tamim and says that the reason you're not allowed to put linen and wool together is because Kayin, his carbon to Hashem, he was a a gardener. So he brought plants. It's interesting. I, I have seminary girls and high school girls and I asked them where linen comes from and they did not know. Linen comes from flax. Flax is a plant. Wool they did know, comes from a, from a shepsula, from a sheep. And um, so, Cain Suzanne, if you could just make a seat for Ruth. Ruth, your seat is, it's here, Rosh Shiva has to sit in front. It's right here, Rosh Hashiba sits, Rosh Hashiba sits in front. So, so, so Kayan's, Kayan's coburn was a plant, and Hevel's carbon was an animal, right? The wool represents the animal, the plant represents the, Cain, uh, so we don't want to remind Hashem that Cain killed Hevel, and the whole is between the brothers, so we don't wear wool and linen together, but the Taman Hagem says that's the reason, but it's not really the reason. And, and we know, certain, certain mitzvahs, just, they just don't have a reason. Shpatim is something that we understand. Chukim is a mitzvah that we don't understand. Now, if you go into Ba'midbar, and you learn Pasha's Chukas, Right? So, what is the chok that the Torah says, this is the biggest chok? Paraduma. paraduma. The red cow. By the way, I don't know if it's true, but one of the girls told me that right now in Lakewood, there is a Paraduma. And that some rabbanim even saw it. But this happened a long time ago in a kibbutz in I remember when I was young. And it says that in the times of Mashiach a Paraduma will be born. And I remember as a kid, which was a very long time ago, that in the kibbutz in Eretz Israel there was a paraduma, and everybody got excited. But what happened is, as it grew a little older, it grew two, three, it grew actually three, four, five black and white hairs, and that's no, it, it, a paraduma has to be no more than two hairs. So, right now they say that in Lakewood there is a paraduma, but they don't want to talk about it too much. They don't want to give it an iron hara, but a few people told me this. Okay, so. What? Yeah, Lake was a Lake was a town of farms, sure. Lake was all farms. Originally, it was all farms. So we know it's the times of the sheikh anyway. We don't need a Paraduma to tell us that, but there seems to be some, some people that are very excited. So here's the question: In Parashas Chukas, it says that Zayis Chukas Torah, What's the Chayk of the Torah? Paraduma. Paraduma is the Chayk of the Torah Now, there's a very interesting Rashi. But it's a very hard Rashi to understand. Let me tell you what Rashi says. The first Rashi in Pasha's Chukas. shehasatan <laughs> because the Satan and the Gayim mayin es They bother us. They question us. And they say, ma ha What is this mitzvah of the red heifer of this, of this red cow? Yeshba. And what kind of reason does it have? The Therefore, says Rashi, the Torah calls it a chok. Hashem says, it's a gzera, it's a very strong word. It's a gzera, I don't give you permission to think about this Mitzvah. I don't give you permission to think about the Farad Duma. Now, I never understood this, Rashi, because it doesn't seem to be true. Rashi is saying that the Goyim and the Satan bother us about the Paraduma. I'm willing to ask everybody in this room tonight, did the Satan ever come to you in your head and say, what's up with the Paraduma? I mean, the Satan bothers me about a lot of things. But the Paradum is not one of them. And did you ever meet a non-Jew? I mean, when in business, they ask me, Rabbi, you know, not Rabbi, like, how come you wear that thing on your head? What are those strings? You know, I thought I'm a a Jew with strings attached. But what's the the deal with the strings? What's the deal with the thing on your head, ladies? Why do you you cover your hair? Why do you wear wigs? Why do you wear skirts that are so long? Why why on, on on, on Saturday you guys don't do anything? But did any guy ever walk out to you and say, could you tell me what's the deal with the red heifer, with the paraduma?" duma? No. Even goes over in college, and the guy, am I asking them every question in the world? They never ask them, right? Look, did you ever, anyone ever ask you that question? What's the deal with the red heifer? For sure not. Did the HR ever come to you and say, ooh, what's going on with that paraduma?" For sure not, right? But Rashi says, Rashi says that this is the chok because the gayim and the satan am I going to bother you about this mitzvah? And Hashem says I don't want you thinking about this mitzvah and we learn this Rashi What's going? it's not true, it's not true the gayim don't bother me, the Yitzhara doesn't bother me Hashem, why can't I think about this mitzvah? so the answer is as follows the answer is if you break down the mitzvah of the Duma, what happens? so you have this kayim, now it's brought down in the Gemara and it's brought down Kohanim. We only worked, and maybe that's why I'm not such a hard worker, because it's in my genetics. We only worked in the base of Medish two weeks a year. That's it. Your Mishma was two weeks a year. What did you do the rest of the year? What did the Kohanim do? They were Rebbies. Right? So, you know, maybe that's why I don't work so hard, because we didn't work, we worked for two weeks. But those two weeks? We were so special. We were so careful not to be Tomei. Because if I miss those two weeks, I don't go to the base of Migdash. So here you have this Kayan. Wallstein shows up. First day. I, I was, I was waiting a whole year for this. I'm in the base of Migdash. It's the first day. And they're like, Walstein, you got to take care of the Paraduma. What do I got to do? You got to, you got to, Burn the carbon, the ashes, mix it with the water, and you have to sprinkle it on the people who are tame. So what what's the deal? What is that what happens? Oh, we have to tell you something. There's a little uh, disclaimer on the bottom of this. That after you sprinkle the person who's tame, Wallstein, you become tame. Excuse me? I just got here. Right? If I become tame, what are you talking about? The halakh and the paraduma is that the Kayan who sprinkles the ashes becomes tame. And the person he sprinkles the ashes on becomes tahar, Which really is illogical. Because if I have the power to make this person pure, how could I become impure? That's the Chayk. The Chayk is that the good guy becomes Tawar. And the bad guy becomes tahar. And what does that translate into? Sadik Viraloi and rush of a of The good person seems to be punished, and the bad person seems to be rewarded. Says Rashi, says Rashi, that the Goyim and the Satan will always bother you with this question. If the Jews is the chosen, and I have had this discussion, if the Jews are the chosen nation and your the mission says, Hashem," you're my children. Chavivin alai, I show my extra love that I tell you that I that I love you and that you're my children. So what's the deal with the Holocaust? And what's the deal with the Spanish Inquisition and the Crusades and losing the two base Hamiddash? And being under the Arabs, and being under the Romans, and being under the Greeks. I mean, you Jew, who wants to be chosen? Who wants to be a chosen nation? You were chosen for destruction. And I've been asked that question. You think you're the chosen nation? So why did, why did God kill, kill six million of you? We're glad that we're not the chosen nation. That's something that bothered Moshe Rabbeinu and bothered David Amalek. And that was their question to HaKadosh Baruch They could not understand Tzadik Varalai. Why do good people suffer and bad people rejoice? That's what Rashi is saying. The biggest chayk in the Torah is the mitzvah of Paraduma. Because only by Paraduma, the good guy, the pure guy becomes impure. And the impure guy becomes pure. And that is something the Yitzhahara bothers us all the time. How many times have girls come to me and said, Rabbi Wallstein, I'm a tznuah. I went to seminary, and I would talk to a boy. I did what I'm supposed to. I'm 27 years old, and I'm single. And my, my friend, who got kicked out of school, went to parties, went to nightclubs, drank, party with boys, she's also 27, except she has three kids and a husband. So I don't understand, there's a low fear. I did what I'm supposed to, and I'm not married. She did what she wasn't supposed to, and she is married. And that, the Sahara bothers us about all the time. Says Hashem, Gezerim This is not something that you can think about. We have this story in the Asara Machus that we talk about on Tishabav and we talk about on Yom Kippur. Ten of the biggest tzaddikim were murdered in a very, very terrible way. And when it came to Rabbi Shemuel Khoen Gadol, and they peeled his face, and they came to the makam of the Tfilin, and he gave out a scream that the world shook. The angels came to God and said, Zu I, I usually cry when I get to that point. Zu this is how you reward Tyra? To be killed in such a terrible way? So they asked Hashem a question. This is Tyra and this is your reward for the good Jew, for the good person? And Hashem said, one more word, and I'll turn the world to Tyra you." So they asked a question. The malachim asked God a question. They asked Hashem, is this how you pay back good people? Hashem didn't answer the question. He said, one more word. He threatened them. One more word, I'll destroy the world. Answer the question. The malachim asked you a question. Zu zuz and then you, you didn't answer the question. You said, I'll turn the world into nothing. So Chazal said, no, it wasn't a threat. Hashem was saying... That if you want to know the answer, why good people suffer, the only way you can know the answer is if I take you back to the beginning of the world, show you the beginning of the story, show you the end of the story, then you could understand you stepped into the middle of the story. What was the beginning of the story? The world was... The world was... So Hashem said to the Malachim, If I hear another word, if you really want to know the answer... That I have to turn the world into volume. I have to show you the beginning of the picture. You can't walk into the middle of the wedding and ask questions on who you know who, who's getting who's getting married over here. You got to be at the beginning of the wedding. You got to be at the end of the wedding. So that's what Akhavim was saying, and that's why Rashi saying over here that Akhavim did the, the, the very very story. I think it's the Dibre Chayim. It was a very very famous story where there was a man out, uh, uh, living in some kind of village, and he was one hundred and five years old, and somebody told the told told the tzaddik. And it's a very big thing to get a bracha, anyone who's over 90. So they all, the, the Rebbe went and he took his chassidim and said, let's go get a bracha. The guy is over 100 years old, let's go get a bracha. And so they went, and they came to this man, and the Rebbe asked him, you're, you're over 100 years old, you must have done, you must have saved an orphan, you must have done something big. What did you do to deserve a rikha shamim to live this long? He said, uh, I don't remember doing anything, anything special. And the Rebbe said, no, you must have done something special and he said I never did anything special but I'll tell you the truth he says people have questions and they're always asking God questions and if you ask enough questions Hashem at a certain point says I can't answer to you in this world because I can't show you everything in this world but if you want to know the answer I'll take you to the next world he says you know why I'm so old I don't ask questions it's a very famous story I don't ask questions Hashem doesn't have to tell doesn't have to take me to the next world to show me any answers because to understand the answer you you have to see you have to see the whole picture so the chayk in the Torah the biggest chaik is the paraduma, when we don't understand, when we see good people suffering, we don't we don't understand that at all. And that's what this Rashi is talking about. And that's why Paraduma is considered the biggest khok. Now there's there's two stories, and then I'm gonna I'll get back to um, I'll get back to the Elam Ashbartan. There's two amazing stories about Sadik Viraloi. Now the interesting thing is that when we see a good person suffer, so we think it's, it's bad. Right? But actually the Tzaddik himself doesn't think it's bad. The Tzaddik who's suffering doesn't think it's bad. There, there, there are two stories. One, there was a very, very famous story. He was called the Ger Tzaddik. He was called the Ger Tzaddik of Vilna. His name was Avram ben Avraham. Very, very famous. Lived in the time of the Vilna Gayan. People who go to the, to the, to Vilna, to the, to the grave. The Tzadikim, so he's buried there, and a lot of people go to Dhamma by him. So he was called the Garrett Tzadik of Vilna. His name was actually Valentin Potatsky. Actually, it's mentioned, it's, it's expressed Potatsky. And he was born in the 18th century, and he was a Polish noble. And of course, he belonged to the church. And there's a whole story on how he came about or whatever it is, him and his brother. He decided to become, to become, a, to convert, to become a Jew. And they named him Abram ben Abram. And he lived in Vilna quietly because he realized that if they find if they find him, he was part of the nobility that um, they would want to bring him back to the church. So he sort of hid out in Vilna and he leased to learn in, the, in Shul. And nobody, and they were looking for him all because he was missing. They were looking for him. Nobody could find him. And it says that there was a, a kid, a, a young boy that was bothering him because he was a convert. So this kid would always bother him in shul, and truly. one day he lost a little bit his patience, and um, he spoke to this kid very harshly. And the child went back to his his father and told him, "You know this Avram ben Avram, this gear and the Chutzpah. I'm 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 born a Jew, and this gear had a Chutzpah to talk to me like this." So the father got very enraged, uh, very upset, and uh, he went and told the authorities that if you're looking for for this guy for For Count um, Pototsky, I can tell you where he is. He's in the shul in Vilna, learning. So the cops, the police went, and they arrested him. And um, they brought him back to his family. And the church said to him that if you don't um, renounce your Judaism, then we're going to burn you at the stake. And... Of course, Avram and Avram said no, and it's brought down that the Vilna said to him, because the Vilna knew the Shema Hashem, whatever it was. The Vilna said, "If you want, I could save you. I could get you out of jail. I could save you. But if you don't want, and you want to die because Hashem, it's up to you what you want." And he said he wanted to die because Hashem. So, it's um, a fantastic story. So that when the Christian executioners um, saw that this count, this Avram ben Avram, was unwavering and his resolve to, to, to die as a Jew, they became very, very scared about executing such a holy man. So they um, asked him, you know, here in this world we're able to do this to you, we're able to bring you to death, but we want to know if in the world to come you're going to take revenge. The mamash got scared of him. They were scared that he would take revenge in, in, the, in the next world. So this is what he told them. Nairuddik. So, Abraham and Avram told him, he says, I want to tell you a story. He says, it's a true story. He's telling this to his executioners before they throw him into the fire, before they light the fire. He said, when I was a little boy, so I was noble, I was nobility, but on our land there were farmers who had little kids. He said, when I was a little boy and I was playing in the mud and I created soldiers that I made out of the mud and I created horses and I, I made a whole battlefield. Little kid, I made a whole battlefield on the ground in my sandbox. I made a whole battlefield of these mud of these mud soldiers. He said. And these kids, these farmer peasant kids, when they came out, came back from working in the fields, and they saw so what I did, they stepped all over it and they they crushed it. All the work that I did, they they crushed it. I was a little kid, and I was a nobleman, and these were peasants. He said, so I went to my father, and I asked my father. Um I want you to punish these people for what they did. He said, But my father looked at me and he said, Punish them? Um you're too smart a child to want to punish a bunch of kids for stepping on some mud soldiers. Like it's so trivial. It's you're 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 above that. Punish these kids for stepping on your little mud soldiers? That's silly. Let it go. So he said he said, I have to tell you, he says um, now that I am the age that I am, he said, I'm incapable of, of taking revenge for a bunch of kids who stepped on my mud soldiers. It's silly. If, if you were in school in kindergarten, right, and your mother bought, bought you a brand new little, little box of crayons with the sharpener, and a kid stepped on it and made it into and broke it, right? You were very, very angry, and you wanted to take revenge. Now, as a young girl, you're 19, 20 years old, right? And you meet this girl and you're like, you <laughs> remember those crayons? That was very funny what you did to me. You're gonna take revenge? You're 20 years old! You're gonna take revenge if someone broke your pencil? That she ate your pretzel? You're gonna, you're gonna take revenge? You're an adult! You're not gonna take revenge! So he's saying to the executioners, he says, he says, when I grew up, I realized it was, it was, it was silly. I was gonna take revenge on a bunch of kids who stepped on a, on a mud thing that I made so this is what he said so he said when I come to the next world where everything is going to be clear I'll comprehend do you think that I will be concerned as something as petty as taking vengeance on you burning my physical body when I live in a spiritual world do you think it's going to bother me that you burnt my body it's going to be so meaningless as meaningless as it is to me today that someone stepped on my little clay figure that I made now that's that's godless it doesn't end there so this is what he says listen to this this is is mind boggling he says I want to say something further he says in this world it would be very likely that I would thirst to revenge for what you're about to do to me But once I arrive in the world of truth, where everything will be clear and comprehensible, do you think that I will be concerned about something as petty as vengeance if I'm burning my flesh and bones? And then he says, And finally, in regard to the man, to the Jewish man who reported me to you, if I merit to get Ganeidin when I come to the next world, for this Kiddush Hashem, I will not rest until the informer shears... My Ganaden with me. For it was he in retrospect who made it possible for me to be taken from this world and to do a Kiddush Hashem. And therefore, he also deserves Ganaden. <coughs> so the answer is this was Avram ben Avram. So not only am I not going to take revenge on the people who are burning me to death. But I will not rest in Ghanedem unless you give the Maserer who told on me Ghanedem because it wasn't for him. I wouldn't be anywhere. Some of you know my story, what happened to me in third grade. I've, I've spoken about it. And it's true. If it wouldn't have happened to me in third grade, I wouldn't be sitting in front of you today and teaching you. <sighs> it's not, whoever doesn't know that, I was thrown out. Whatever. Whatever I went through in third grade, I went through. And that's why I became a teacher because I wanted to make sure that that would never happen to any other kids. So, Lemaisa, what he was saying here, I'm not on that level, but he, what he was saying here is, I, 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 I can't relax in Ghana unless you get, this is what, this is what, I've, now, what am I telling you this story for? Because what we look at, Tzadik Veralo, here you get a chance to see a picture that, that we're looking at. Avram Avram, he was a Christian. He was a nobleman. He gave up everything for God. He gave everything to be a Jew. A Jew goes and tells on him. They're burning him at the stake. I mean, we got questions. Hashem, how can you let this happen? He, he gave up everything for you. Well, that's how we look at it. But Avram and Avram looked at it and said like, Wow, I got a chance now to do something, right? To die for Hashem. I mean, who gets that chance? So even though we look at it as Tadik V'ra'loi, the Tzadik looks at it as Tzadik V'tavloi. The second story I want to tell you is the story of Rav khanan Wasserman. Rav was actually in America by the Holocaust. And he would, he would have been saved. But he decided that he was going back to Europe during the Holocaust knowing that he would die with his Talmidim, so that he would not leave his Talmidim alone in Europe. So he actually went back into the Holocaust. So, I want to tell you, he says an amazing, an amazing story about Rabbi Khanan. He died actually in 1941. A very, very famous place called the Ninth Fort, um, on July 8th, 1941. So, Rabbi Khanan was with his Talmidim, and his Talmudim said, Rebbe, we don't understand. Tzadik Varelai, you're the leader of the generation. So many good Jews were in the middle of the Holocaust. How could Hashem do this? They just didn't understand. How could so many good Jews be suffering? So this is what Rebbe al said to them. He said, I want to answer to you with a story. He said, there was a man, he was a farmer... And he had a friend who knew nothing about farming, nothing about agriculture. And his friend said to him to the farmer, You know, I would like to learn about what you do. So could you show me what you do? So the farmer said, Fine. He said, Let me take you down to the field. So he takes him down to a field, and the field is full of grass. Huge, beautiful field full of grass. And the the, the person says to the farmer, Wow, what a beautiful, what a beautiful green field you have. This is really nice. The farmer says, Okay, we're going to start farming. So he takes out a plow, and he rips up all the grass, turns it over, and now the field is full of dirt. No more grass. Pulled all the dirt out, all the grass out, and it's all dirt. So the friend says to the farmer, what are you doing? It was like the perfect field. Why did you do this? You ruined your field. And the farmer says, one thing about farming you need to know. You must be patient. Okay? So the farmer takes out a bunch of kernels of wheat, beautiful kernels of wheat and he says to the, his friend, what do you see? And he says, I see beautiful, healthy grain. It's very nice. So as his friend is watching and he's shocked, the farmer takes the grain, the, the seed, the grain, and he puts it into the ground and then he covers it up with dirt. And the guy says to the farmer, are you insane? You finally have some nice grain. Now you're covering it up with dirt. He says, be patient. Okay. Two weeks later, they come back to the field. And, of course, all these seeds are now sprouting. And there's these beautiful plants. And he says to the farmer, I apologize. I didn't I didn't know what seeds do. But now I understand. You made the field more beautiful. When I first came, there was a little grass. Now you have all these big plants. Okay? I'm sorry. I wasn't patient. Now I understand. He said, okay, we're just going to wait a couple of more weeks. Let it grow all the way up. They grow all the way up. Come back to the field. The guy's like, wow, this is so beautiful. Such big stalks. He says, "No, no, no! Watch this!" And he takes a sickle and he cuts them all down. All these beautiful stalks that grew, he cuts all the stalks down. And this guy's following him around. I, my, my friends, I am mean, a sugar nut. He finally grew all these things. He did all this work, and now they grow. And he cuts them down. And then he takes them to the corner of the field and he starts grinding them up until he's able to separate the the the, the seeds, the wheat, the kernels from the from the hay, right? And this guy's watching all this, and he's like. Every time you have something, you destroy it. You know, I don't understand what you're doing. Okay, but now they have a whole bunch of, a whole truck full of kernels. He says, okay, we're going to take the kernels. We're going to go home. He says, no. They take the kernels and they grind them and they grind them into a white powder. And he's like, again, you're very destructive. Every time you have something whole, you destroy it. It looks like he has just powder, right? Dust. And he says, no. He says, we're not done. And he takes this. He calls it white mud. The other guy calls it white mud. And he takes the white mud and he mixes it with water. So now he has white mud, total white mud. And this guy's like, I, I, I just, I just don't understand you. You just, you just, everything, he says, no, no, watch what I'm going to do. And he shapes it into, he shapes it into a loaf of bread and this perfectly formed loaf, right? And now the visitor, well, the farmer says, now I understand all that work to create this loaf. And the farmer says, no, we're not done. He says, what now? He says, we're going to put the loaf into the fire. He says, what? Again, you're going to destroy what you have? Puts the loaf into the fire, of course. And the loaf comes out as a loaf of bread. And he gives him to eat. And... The friend says, now I understand the aroma and the, and, the, and the bread. It's so delicious. It's so unbelievable. And the farmer says, now you understand. So, Rebbe Khan Wasman turned to his Tamidim as they were being marched to the fort. They were all slaughtered. They were all killed. And he says, God, Hashem, is like the farmer in this story. And we are the fools who did not begin to understand the outcome of his plan. Only when the process is complete will the Jewish people understand why all this happened. And that's what he said, and that's exactly what he said before they died. So, what we learn over here is that what we think is Tzadik virallo, what we think is bad, we don't have the insight to see the whole picture. Just like the person who, um, I always say this this parable, which I think is the this is a no, you take a parable, but I have this parable with this, with this. The, the, there, there's this kid, and he's sick, and he, they live in the woods. A bunch of savages, and they live in the woods, and they and the and the, and the witch doctor, the, the you know the witch doctor with the bone in the head, you know, is, is, knows all these crazy medicines, and and they can't get the kid better. And someone says, you know, there's modern medicine, you know, instead of giving him all this these herbs and all this other stuff, you know, I I think that maybe they could, the, the, the civilized world can can help your child so these two people who were never in the civilized world right take their kid and they're going to help them and they come into our world and they're like if someone's sick where do you take them and they're like to the doctor now these people have never been to a doctor so they lead them to the doctor and they come to the doctor's office and they're sitting there with their kid right first of all everyone's crying all the little kids are crying Right? They're in a doctor's office. And they're sitting there with their little kid, and they're, they're tittering. They were never by a doctor, they live in the woods. Right? They're tittering, but they were told that they're savages, and we're civilized. So, it should turn out okay. So all of a sudden, the father has to go to the bathroom. So he says, where do you, like, to go to the bathroom? They say, go oh, down the hall, there's a the bathroom, a men's room, whatever it is, make a right. right, right, Instead of making a right, he makes a left, and he sees the door's a little bit open. So he wants to see what civilized people do to help their children. So he looks in the crack of the door and what he sees is a man in a white coat and two parents of this little child. And the mother is holding the child's hands down and the father is holding the the little boy's feet down. And then he looks at the man in the white coat and in his hand is a long needle. And he's like, Oh my goodness what are they gonna to do to this child they're holding the child down and the man with the needle sticks in it into the kid's thigh and the kids you know if you ever brought a kid to the doctor before he even sticks it in the kid he's screaming and yelling and the parents are like it's okay he's like it's okay the man is sticking he, he's a savage they don't do these things in the woods sticking a needle into the kid's thigh and he runs to his wife and he's like let's get out of here They're crazy. They stick needles into it, right? And 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 they're running out. Or an alien comes from space, and he the first time he walks into a hospital, he walks into an open heart surgery, and the doctor has his hands in the guy's heart, and he's like, "They're cannibals. They they rip each other open and they pull out parts." Let's go back to Mars. That's the human. That's the human race, right? Because if you come in in the middle of the picture, and you just see a needle going into a kid's thigh you think that man's very mean. And then if you're sitting there and you watch the parents pay that man for sticking the needle in the kid's thigh, they're totally Meshuggah. What we go through in life, even though we don't understand, we're that savage. We're coming out of the woods. We're coming to a spiritual world. We're physical beings. We're coming to a spiritual world. These, these things that we see, these are, these are, these are, these are Kodesh Baruch Hu. We don't understand it because we're from a different world. We're from the woods. We don't know what a needle is. We don't know what an operation is. We don't know what a spiritual operation is, what a spiritual needle is. We don't understand what's going on. So Klish Boku says, You you can't think about this. If you think about this, you're going to run out the same way these savages are running back to the woods screaming, get us out of here. They're crazy. They stick needles in their children. They're voodoo. They think their kids are voodoo dolls. They stick them with needles. Right? We're going to do the same thing. We're going to start thinking about Tsadiq Baralo, we're going to start running back into the woods. We're going to run away from Hashem. We're going to run away from the Torah. So Avram ben Avram understood. He understood that. And he told the executioner. He understood that in the world of the physical body, of course, I would take revenge. You guys are burning my body. Of course, I would take revenge on you. But in the next world, it's a different operating table. In the next world, this is going to be meaningless. And that's why the Chayk in the Torah, Parah Duma, Akresh says, "It's not for you to think about it, because in you, in the human mind, we cannot, we cannot understand it. We just have to accept it." So, in Pashas Mishpatim, we start off with Mishpatim, and we got the Chukim. When in Pasha's Mishpatim, what it says in the actual Torah, I'll, I'll explain to you. But then I'll tell you the Kabbalistic explanation, and I'll end with a story from the Abbas Chaim, which is a very deep Kabbalistic Sefer. So, there's a din of Evet Ivri. So, if a man, let's say a man steals, and he steals a lot of money, and then he goes, gambles it, and he loses it, so he can't pay it back. So, it's not like American law, where you just say, I'm bankrupt, too bad, I can't pay you back. Bezdin would sell you, as a servant, for six years max, and the money that you make for those six years, you have to use to pay back the person you stole from. It's called an Ebed Ivry. Now the law of an Ebed Ivry is that if you have one pillow in the house, he gets the pillow. If you have one steak, the rest is chicken, he gets the steak. You have to treat your Ebed Ivry better than you treat yourself. So the Torah says like this. If you buy an Ebed Ivry, he can work for you for six years and the seventh year he goes free. In Begapo Yavo, if he comes in as a servant unmarried as a single guy, Bagapo Yaitseh, he leaves as a single guy. In Bal what happens? He stole, but he was married and he had kids. So the, the master, when he buys the Ebon and he has to, right, he has to support the wife and the kids. He can't have the Ebon working for him and let them starve. So if the man is married and he stole and now we're selling him, his kids and wife have to be supported. So, if he's married, when he's becomes free, after six years, the owner doesn't have to pay for her food anymore. He becomes free with his wife. Goodbye. I don't got to take care of you anymore. Okay. But, let's say he came in single, and the guy who bought him has a beautiful maidservant. And he comes up with this great idea. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to let my maidservant marry my Jewish slave, and if they're going to have children, those children belong to the master. Because the woman slave doesn't get freed. So this is great. Not only am I going to have a guy working for me, but I'm going to have him have kids, and those kids are going to belong to me, and they're going to work for me. So if the ever agrees to it, it happens. So, if the master gives him a wife, or if he came in single, he can't do that if he comes in with his wife. He can't give him a wife. But he came in single. If the master gives him a wife, and they have children, the the wife, and her children, belong to the master, and after six years, he's gone. He's out, but the maidservant and her children belong to the master. But if the Evet says, one second, I like this lady. And I like these kids, and I like my master. This is a great job. If there's one lamp chop, I get it. If there's one pillow, I get it. If there's one coat, I get it. I mean, this is a good job. And I don't got to pay a mortgage. I got food. I got a roof. I got clothing. I got children. I got. I got a sure I'm married. Why should I go anywhere? This is beautiful. So he says, "I love my master as ishti. I love this shivcha as Banai, I love my children." Lo etechopshi, I don't want to go free. I want to stay here. So they take him to Besdin, and they take an all. A-W-L. A new word for your Scrabble game. Right? W is worth 8 points. Triple letters, 24 points. Right? So all. A-W-L. Okay? So they take this all and they make a hole in the earlobe of the servant. At Bezdin, at the door. Why? Right? And then he works for him forever. Forever meeting till Yovel, which is 50 years. So the most he can work is 50 years. If he sold them at the 25th year, it's only 25 years. Yovel, everybody goes free. Why do we make a hole in his ear? Because he heard on Hasinai, everybody was on Hasinai, he heard that there's only one master you're supposed to work for. And that's God. So I have my own translation. I didn't see it anywhere. That he also has a hole in his ear for stealing, because he heard the Ten Commandments, you shouldn't steal. Even though the stealing in Ten Commandments is kidnapping. But part of the 613 is you shouldn't steal, and he, and he didn't listen. But the question of that is, then they should make the hole after six years. We're making a hole only because he wants to stay. But if the reason is that he, st- he stole, and he heard on hasina you're not supposed to steal, they should have made a hole after six years. But no. Because he shows after six years that it didn't bother him, he wants to stay longer. He's saying, I want to stay longer. If you want to stay longer, then the last six years didn't bother you. So that means that the punishment of 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 stealing, you didn't feel like you were punished. So maybe that's also why they make a hole. I didn't see that anywhere, but that's just my, my thought process. But the reason they make a hole in his ear is because you are not supposed to be a servant. And when you're free after six years, you're supposed to be free. Because the biggest curse is not to need God. Right, the, the snake was cursed and he eats dust. That's not a curse, there's dust everywhere. So this this servant is saying, I don't need you anymore, God. I have a master, I have a wife, I have kids, my mortgage is paid, I get the best pillow, I get everything, what do I need a shem for? I'm not going anywhere. So that's sort of an that's sort of an avera. And I'm gonna tell you the Kabbalistic translation of this. The Kabbalistic translation of this is totally different. In Bigaba Yavo, Bigaba Yaitse, a person comes into this world with nothing. No clothing, no money, no jewelry, nothing. Right? When a person leaves this world, he leaves with nothing. They put Tachrichim on you after 120. It has no pockets in it because you can't take anything with you. There's a very, very famous story in Israel where there was, I'm not going to say the name of the family, but a very famous, famous rich family. And when the father died, it was written in his will. Right? He, he, before he died he said that when I die I need you to open this paper before you bury me. And he left a will to his children that he wants to be buried in a pair of socks. That was the will. Very strange will. He wants to be buried in a pair of socks. In His top drawer there's a pair of socks. He wants to be buried in those socks. They thought maybe he was saved in the Holocaust in those socks. They didn't know why but that's what he wrote. They went to the Heber Kaddish Yerushalayim and when they were doing the Tahara on the body they brought this pair of socks. And the Chavar said, why are you bringing socks? And they're like, we have a will that our father said that he has to be buried in socks. The Chavar said, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to be buried in anything except that, that that That's it. But they said, we have a will. That's what our father wanted. I believe they went to Rebbe Yoshev, the Gal and they said, we have a will. The father said he wants to be buried in socks. Rebbe Yoshev said, you can't write a will against Halacha. You can't write, you can't. if someone left the will, I want to be cremated. You can't cremate them. You can't go, no, no socks. So they buried him without socks. At the last day of Shiva, it's a very famous story. At the last day of Shiva, a man walks in and says, I have a letter that I was told to bring you, that it was left by your father, that on the seventh day of his Shiva, before you get up, the morning of before they got up, that you have to read this letter. And I've been holding this for years. And he said that if, when I die, you must bring this to my children the morning that they get up. So they're wondering, wow. And they open the letter. It's a famous story. And they open the letter. And the letter says, Dear children, so you didn't listen to me, did you? So you didn't bury me in socks, did you? I know that you didn't. Because the rabbis didn't let you. You see? No matter how much money you have, because they were threatening the Chavar This family used to give the Chavar Kadisha a lot of money and they gave yeshivas a lot of money and the Apidosh were saying that if you don't let our father get buried in socks we're not giving you guys any more money and they said we don't care, he's not getting buried in socks. So in the letter it said, I know you didn't listen, I know I was buried without socks. You see, no matter how much money you have when you leave this world they don't even let you wear a pair of socks. So the lesson I want my children to know is that money does not go with you. So take the money that you inherited and use it wisely to help Jewish causes. Very, very, I know the family. It's a very, very famous story. So the Pesach tells us, Begapo Yavo, Begapo Yetzay. You come into this world alone without socks and you go out of this world without socks. In Balishahu But if while you were in this world you learned Torah and you did mitzvos, says the Pasik, the Yatza Ishta Emo, you won't go out alone. The Torah and the mitzvos that you did, your Isha, what's a person's Isha, what's your zibug in this world? What's an neshama zibug in this world? His Torah and his mitzvos, that will go out with you. But says the Pasuk, If your master, the Baal the Satan, will give you the Isha, will give you all the materialistic things in the world, and your money is going to multiply and multiply, you're going to have children, it's going to multiply and multiply, and you're going to have iPhones and cars and all the stuff that we're busy with, that we're buying, so much stuff, closets full of stuff, Warehouses full of stuff, all the materialistic things in the world. He says, you should know, all this materialistic stuff, all your money, it's gonna go back to the master who gave it to you, it's gonna go back to the baldava. the Itzahara is gonna get your money, you don't get to keep anything. The baldava gets to keep everything, but you will go out alone. You will go out with nothing. However, if you are servant to the other side, to the Sahara and you're going to say, I love this materialistic world. This is great. As All the materialistic things that I gathered. Says the Torah, says the Avaz You'll never be free. Your whole life you'll be gathering You'll be a servant. You'll be gathering all these things. You'll never be free of it. You'll always belong to the materialistic things in the world. And in the end, you will be his servant forever. This world and in the next world. And therefore, But if you do Torah Mitzvahs, that's all that's going to go out with you. So we end, the Chaim says the following. And he says, it's it's, it's a little bit hard to end on this, but this is what he says. He says, there was a man and he once got called to the king. And the king, you don't get called to the king if you're just a regular person. it's It's like an IRS audit. If you're getting called to the king, it's not a good thing. So he gets called to the king and he becomes very scared... I'm just a regular person. How am I going to go in front of the king? Like, I don't know what to say. I'm, a, I'm in trouble for something. And I don't know how to defend myself. But he had four friends. Three of them were there all the time with him. He was his chill partners. He was 24-7. These were his buddies. And one, twice a year, he hung out with them. But the other three, 24-7. So he goes to his first friend and he says, Hamelach Shalach Achray, the king called for me. And I'm scared, come with me. I'm a lie. His friend says to him, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm a human being and, and I'm just made out of flesh and, and I can't go into the king. He didn't call me. If he didn't call me, like, like Esther Amalka, I can't, I can't go into the king, but I'll take you to the outer gates. So that's not good enough. So he calls his second friend and he says, uh, I'm in big trouble. The king called for me. Could you help me? He says, Me? I can't talk in front of the king. I'm a nobody. I don't even know how to talk. I stutter. I'm not a good speaker. Um, But I'll tell you what I'll do. Since I like you so much and we're good friends, I'll give you very nice clothing to wear so that when you go to the king, you'll be dressed nicely. Okay? He says, I'm not sure if they won't take it away from you, but, you know, fine. He calls a third friend and he says to him, Please help me. I've got to go to the king. I need someone to go with me. And he says, Listen, I don't have anything. I don't have clothing. Um, I can't take you to the gate of the king. Uh, I definitely can't go inside to the king with you. Um, and this guy's left alone. And he starts walking to the king and he's very scared. His three best friends who always used to be with him are not going with him. And he meets this fourth guy who just, he knew a little bit. He's twice or three times a year. And he says to him, the fourth guy says to him, what's going on? You look very pale. You look very nervous. Where are you going? He goes, I'm in trouble. I was called to the king. He says, well, why are you going yourself? Where are your three buddies? I mean, you guys always hang out. You're the best friends. Where are they? He says, well, each one of them had a different excuse. Um, they didn't want to go. So he said, well, well, I hang out with you once in a while. Why'd you call me? He said, well, I made a Well, Surely the three, my best friends are not going with me. You will only see once or twice a year. You're surely not going to go with me. He says, no, I'll go with you. Not only that, I'm very close to the king. I'll get you off. Whatever you did wrong, I'll get you off. Alas Chaim says. He says human beings get called to the king, to the next world to Hashem, in a very sudden. It's a very sudden calling. You're not ready for it, because Bokhu says your time's up. It's time to see me. It's time to give din v'chesed. He says. So a person runs to his family. And he's like, I spent so much time with my family. You got to go with me in front of the king. And the family says, you know, we can take you to the outer to the outer chutz, We can take you to the graveyard. We can take you to the grave, but we're human beings. We, we can't go with you to heaven. We're not angels. We can't fly to heaven. So we can take you to the gates, but we can't take you past the gates. So then the is like, oh my gosh, who's going to go with me? So he runs to money. He says to the money, my whole life I've been busy with you. And I've been I've been, you know, working with you. You know, you got to help me. And money says, can't do much for you. I can buy you your grave. And I can buy you your tachrichim that you're wearing, but I can't get you anything else. I can't go with you. And he's like, oh my gosh, my family can't go with me, my money can't go with me. But all the stuff I bought my whole life, all the stuff I have, all my stuff, you know, I'll take that with me. And they're like, we're not even money. We can't even buy you the grave. We're just stuff that you own. We're... I'm your house, I'm your car, I'm your watch, I'm your jewelry, I'm your dress, I'm your mink coat, I'm, I'm your iPhone, I'm, I'm, your, I'm your furniture. I, I can't. I can't buy you anything, and I can't even go to the grave with you. You ever went to a grave and, and the house was behind walking behind the people, like I'm going with my master? So we can't, I can't even do that! And then the shaman's like, in a panic, my three best friends, I spent my whole life, money, family, and things. And nothing's going with me. And then his Torah and Mitzvah show up. His fourth friend. And like, where are you going? i was like, I'm going to give them the to a Cheshben. Where are your friends? Where's your money? I mean, you always pushed me aside. You're like, I can't learn now. I can't dive in now. I got to make money. I, I got to talk to my friends I and my family. I got to buy something. He says, where are all these friends that you pushed me your whole life away for? Are they not coming with you to the king? And then Shaman's like, no. He says, well, I'll go with you. Your mitzvahs and your Torah, that's the only thing. A Pashtun Mishpatim, your, your, your Ishtachah goes with you. And your Torah mitzvahs say, I, I can talk for you to Kodesh Baruch Hu. And then Shaman's like, I can't believe that I gave up all that time to spend with all that. And I didn't spend it with you. And now as Chaim says, that's, that's the, the lesson that a person has to learn from the the only thing you take out is Yotari Mitzvah all that other stuff that you're spending so much time all those unlimited minutes that you need on the phone all that stuff it can't go it doesn't go anywhere with you it can't help you and the fourth friend which is Yotari Mitzvah is the one that you gave no attention to now how does this all connect to our first question and the answer is as follows the greatest simcha is knowing that in the month of Andar, where Hashem is hidden, totally hidden, you don't see him whatsoever in the whole Megillah. The Megillah looks like Megillah looks like some some Persian story where in the beginning of Megillus Esther, it looks so bad The Jews did this on Veira, and you have Haman, and you have Achashverosh. And Chazal brings down in the Kabbalistic Svarim that the Melech that could not sleep was not Achashverosh, but it was Akadosh Baruch Hu, And he could not sleep that his children were about to be destroyed. And therefore, he said, bring me my the Zechronos, where Avraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov and the Shvatim and everything that Klayishol went through, bring out. Did I pay them back for all their suffering? Did I pay them back? So in the Nistar, in the Perik Vav, where, where the word HaMelech is mentioned 26 times, if you look in the parak Vav, it's the only parak that the word HaMelech is mentioned 26 times because Yud Vavke is 26 times. The Simcha that we have in Ador is that the God that we don't see, the Nishtar, we know is watching us and taking care of us. Mishinichnas Ador Besimcha Nishan, you don't have that. Besimcha. What do you mean? He's put the obstacle that's the eh, Pesach. Right Pesach. It makes you happy when you see open miracles. But what makes you even happier is when when things look bad when it looks like tzaddik Viruloy and really it's Sadik Viruloy. The the Simcha that a person's supposed to have in Adar is the simcha of the realization that God is hidden in everything and that he's watching us and that he cannot sleep? Don't think for a second that God is sleeping while we're suffering in this galos. Just the opposite. He's looking through his sefer zikronos to find that we deserve to have the geula and the reason that that, that Adar and Nishit have to be next to each other, because really, when there's an Ador Shani, we know that when a mitzvah comes to you, you're not supposed to push it off. So when there's an Ador Shani, we celebrate Purim in the second Ador. But really, we should celebrate it in the first Ador, because we already had a chance on the 14th, on the 14th, 15th day, to celebrate Purim. Why are you pushing it off into the second Ador? Or mitzvah you're not supposed to push off. And the answer is, that the Gaula, both Gaulas have to be near each other. So they ask, why? Do Purim in the first in the first Adar. And the answer is you cannot celebrate the miracle that you see before you celebrate the miracle that is hidden. You can't get HaKadosh Baruch Hu to do open miracles when you don't show gratitude for the miracles that he does secretly. So that is sort of. It looked like Tzadik Veralo. It looked like we were going down. That Haman, the rush over Toivloi. It looked like that Haman was going to win. He had everything. We had nothing. And in the end, in a we got to see that really what looked like Tzadik Veralo, right? And, and, and it's a much deeper, I don't have time tonight to go into this. But what, 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 what Avram Ben Avram said, what Avram Ben Avram said was said way before Avram Ben Avram. It was actually said in Megillah's Esther we have, I'll end with this, we have a very funny halacha. You're supposed to drink enough on Purim to say Oror Marachai and Baruch alman. That is so anti what we stand for. First of all, drinking altogether, And second of all, how, how could you give me a mitzvah to say I, I, uh, I bless your Shemul Hitler and I curse the Chavetz Chaim. What, what, what are you talking about? Like, if someone, if a rabbi would get up and say, Listen, what I want you to do is I want you to drink enough that today you're gonna to get up and say, Blessed is your Mach shamo, and cursed is the Khabbet chayim, we would run him out of town. He's a heretic. we have this we have this halakha to say? What's this all about? It's exactly what I what I read to you tonight. Mm-hmm. Because deep down in the spiritual world, you have to drink enough to take yourself out of the physical world, in the spiritual world, there is a reason to bless Haman. What's the reason to bless Haman? Because at the end of the day, he caused the Jews to be makabel, right, the Torah Ba'ava. He caused us to come together and, and do what we did. Without him, we would have never come together and done what we did. We wouldn't have been makabel the Torah So really, in the physical world, he's a Russian, he's a Nazi, he's a murderer, he's a killer. But well, like Abraham and Abraham said, at the end of the day, the guy who mastered gave me the chance to, to give my life over for God. So, so, so in Ganadin, he deserves a little Ganadin for that. So really, as normal people, we can't say that. But if we, come into, if we look into the spiritual world, in the spiritual world, what did Haman do? In the physical world, he wanted to kill us all. But what did he do in the spiritual world? He caused Klai Yishor to be a toy of Abba. He deserves a little Bracha. What about Mordecai? What about Mordecai? So it's brought down. This is a and, and Rav Shmuel speaks about this. It's brought down. It's brought down. It's hard to understand, but in those days there was a big mach like this. It was really the times of Mashiach, and what was really supposed to happen is that the whole kli was going to be destroyed, and Mashiach was going to come, and that would be the end of our galus. And Sanhedrin said Let it happen Drop the atom bomb Let it happen Let Kaisal be destroyed It's enough Let's bring Mashiach Mordechai Was a leader His job As the leader Is not to bring Mashiach That's not the job of the leader The job of the leader Is to protect his nation So Mordechai went against them And Mordechai said I understand what you're saying But at the end of the day My job is to save them and he saved Claus Yisrael. At the end of the Megillah, it says that he was only accepted by Rove. So the Mepharshim bring down one of the reasons was because he, he, he entered the government and the Sanhedrin was upset that, that, that he entered, he got involved with the government. But it's also brought down, and this is a Zayar, that they were angry at him, that they didn't let Mashiach come and they didn't let this disaster happen. So there's a little reason in the other world to say at the end of the day you didn't let Mashiach happen. So in the physical world Haman wanted to do Ra he wanted to destroy us he doesn't deserve any bracha for that. But like Avram ben Avram in the next world where things are not about bodies dying and human beings dying and being massacred it's about in the neshama in the next world what did Haman do? He's a lowly, he's, he's, he's burning in hell. He's burning in of him. But what did he do? What was the product of what he did? Kalei Shroel spiritually became much greater. So you have to get drunk and you have to leave your physical body and you got to go into that spiritual world. Baruch In the spiritual world, it's true, Mordechai, you saved all our physical bodies, right? So in this world, it's Baruch Mordechai. But in the spiritual world, if you were to let it just happen, Mashiach would have come. Ikarj Baruch who been going to the world, so there's a little error. And that's what Ravshamshampinka says on Purim. Otherwise, it makes no sense. Why should Khashish to say to drink to, to, to curse the tzaddik and and, and, and bless the Russia? And that was the clay, you see. So you're talking about you're talking about Mordechai, Haman, Miguel Esther. Many years later, a convert, Avram Ben Avram, the Gareth Tzaddik of Vilna, said the same thing. He said, I'm gonna take revenge? In this world, I would take revenge. You killed me physically. But in the next world, in the next world, I would take revenge on you guys. You guys gave me a chance to do the biggest kid of Hashem in the world. Of course, I'm not going to take revenge. That's the understanding that what we look at as Tzadik is really Tzadik Vitoivle. And when we look at Russia, Vitoivle is, re- is really Russia Varelai. We should be zayiched to see both gaulas